So lots of stuff going on this week. I guess the big one, you know, I think if we look back, if we did like a week by week highlight, you know, years from now, we'd look back and the big news this week is, is Satya Nadella's being named the CEO at Microsoft. Yep. Yep. Um, and it's a little weird because it leaked a little bit early. Uh, and I think in hindsight, it's sort of a, it, it, I like my initial take is why did it take him so long to name the guy? Cause it seemed pretty obvious. Right. I totally agree with that. Um, you know, there've been how many different front runners have there been at first? It was Stephen Elop, right? Right. Um, then it became, uh, uh, the Ford CEO, Alan uh, Muley, is that right? Um, Mulally? Mulally? I'm I think sure it's Mulally. It. And, and then, um, you know, there were some other names bandied about. Uh, the Skype guy, Tony uh, Bates. Oh, is yeah. That right? yeah. Um, but they were more, I guess they were more dark horses. Um, but Satya Nadella is one that was always uh, mentioned, certainly, because he is one of the senior executives there. But it is you know, it seems like it seems like everyone is saying that this is the absolute right call. But why wasn't it the right call six months ago? Yeah, you know, it it, the, it and and the only one that I could see that maybe they wanted to really push on was Mulally from Ford, yeah. and he used to be at Boeing, which means he has Seattle area roots. And right. you know, and and well, I, I first you I thought well Ford that's not really a technical company but you you read up on Malali he does have an engineering background he's he's mm-hmm. not like a a business school mind he's a you know an engineering guy who worked up to become an, an executive so it, it it's not outlandish and the story that but, was told on that was that hey and he's a little bit older he's he's already had a successful career he he very successful at Boeing turned you know Ford around through a very difficult time for the car industry. He would just go to Microsoft for a couple of years and and sort of take probably and it was it was even rumored Nadella under his wing and sort of teach him the ropes of being a CEO. Yeah, that's that sounds like a pretty good theory about that because that is the one main criticism I guess that people have of Nadella is that he's never been a CEO at all, and so taking over one of the largest companies in the world uh, is certainly going to be a challenge, and it probably would have been beneficial to have a a, a coach, uh, quote unquote, coach to do to help him along that. But he is Bill Gates now to do that, right? Too so, yeah. right? And but I mean, my thought on the timing is though when Malali backed out. And just said, you know, pretty much point blank, you know what, I'm staying at Ford. You know, uh, that's it. Then yep. I don't understand why it took months after that for, for this to be named. Yeah, it seems like, who knows? I mean, reading into all the, the various stories that have come out in, in these past few months, uh, it definitely does sound like there was quite a bit of tension on the board uh, between, uh, in particular, sort of between some of the candidates they were talking to and the power dynamics of would Gates remain chairman and would Balmer remain on the board. Right. Uh, because that would be a very a weird situation, I would imagine, for someone, an outsider especially, to come into that company with the two previous CEOs uh, on, the, on their board of directors, um, sort of you know, well, we didn't do it this way in the past type, uh, type thing coming up again and again and again, you can imagine. So, um, you know, it seems like there was definitely a board struggle a little bit and they finally have sorted that out, but I still don't know why that took six months. Yeah. And I feel like I, I, there was a story in the journal a day or two after the announcement that was purported to be the, Hey, here's what happened behind the scenes. And there was a little bit of color, but not really anything that explained why it, it, 
took as long. And I get like the real story behind it did not come out. Yeah, yeah, I think I read that as well. And and there's there's other uh, sort of things that are that have yet to be seen on this. So the one guy from. Uh, you know, the activist uh, shareholder is going to be taking a board seat soon um, from Value Click. I think that's, hmm. that's what it was. And um, so, you know, there was a lot of talk uh, of when that was going to happen. Like sort of Balmer had to concede that, that he was going to allow uh, this, this activist shareholder to take the board seat. And what does that mean for the dynamics of the board now that, that uh, Gates is no longer chairman? Um, and I don't like no one's really talking about that right now, but I don't know what that will mean um, because you would assume that the activist shareholder uh, wanted to take the board seat in order to shake things up. Things have already been shaken up now. So um, what what is his role there uh, and, and why does his uh, sort of company still want uh, that position? I would imagine it's to see how things go for the first few months uh, to see if Microsoft is actually willing now with new leadership to sort of change direction in any way and i don't know what are your thoughts on that do you think that they actually will uh sort of change from balmer's last uh you know uh, reorg stance i don't know and it's I, I i think everybody you know i don't think you have to be juiced into microsoft or be a keen observer just just common sense tells you that i think it was guy english who was on the show a couple months ago or weeks ago and we talked about just it's just weird that they did the reorg then said Balmer's leaving. Yeah. You know, it just really seems like, hey, we want a new CEO and we want to reorg. It seems like the way you do that is you put the new CEO in and let the new CEO <laughs> yeah. run and structure and improve of the reorg. And and I uh, guess naming an insider, a guy, you know, Nadella, who's been there, it adds a little bit of continuity and and you know, maybe that it makes a little bit more sense, but then that again raises to me the question of why they didn't just name him earlier. Yeah, um, I think that by sort of doing that reorg, that that certainly seems to speak to the notion that perhaps Balmer wasn't at all ready uh, to go, even yeah. though you know he sort of made it seem like it was his his own call. And you know, ultimately it may have been, but he was certainly you know at least uh, pushed in that direction. I would imagine uh, because it does seem insane that 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 he would orchestrate this entire change of the company, even if he thought someone uh, an insider was going to take over underneath him. It's still like. You know, it's 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 someone else sort of uh, uh, setting setting the table for for your dinner. Well, uh, it's a it's a weird, a weird lot thing. Of and then and then what about the what about the element of you remember all the Stephen Elop stuff that that leaked? Yeah, um, yeah. Talking about how how different uh, you know he's going to cut everything up into little pieces and and sell off certain businesses and um, and and do we think that was from him or from one of his rivals camps because it obviously it ultimately I don't know if it torpedoed his uh, his candidacy but it certainly ended up not helping it because he's not the CEO right now yeah that's a good question either either it must be one or the other it must either be that he thought it helped and that he must have also thought that he or knew you know like in private conversation that he had some support on the board mm -hmm. and that leaking it would get outsiders, you know, like investors, you know, I mean, and yeah, and, like the, like the people we were just talking about, right. the, the value act people who would definitely, I think that that's their sort of stated goal was sort of to get Microsoft to, to cut itself up into uh, little pieces to, to sort of throw pressure behind that and, and make it, you know, put every put pressure on the ones who were maybe pushing against Elop to go his way, or yeah. you know, and it is you know, and it's it sounds you know, you start 
you say this and it sounds a little silly and you start thinking maybe, you know, come on, everything's not like a movie. But you know what? There, in real life, there are pol- politics and people do play dirty tricks. The other idea would be that it was somebody else who seeded it to make him look bad like he can't keep his mouth shut and that yeah. he's a leak to the press sort of guy. Yeah, that's sort of, you know, again, who knows what's actually going on. But that sounds fairly plausible because of the, you saw what the reaction was to it when that happened. It's like, oh my God, this is insane. You know, like the, uh, well, there were two camps as there always are. You know, the people who, who think that Microsoft should be split up are like, hell yeah, this is exactly what they need to do. And then there's the uh, the people who are just looking at the company overall and, and just having gone through sort of this reorg and saying like, oh my God, this is this is going to throw things into further disarray. This is pretty much the end of Microsoft if they let this happen. Yeah. If I had to guess though, I think that it was Elop and his people who leaked it because if it weren't, he could have, there, there are ways for him to, you know, if he somehow tried, got thrown under the bus by somebody else, there's ways that he could spin it the other way, you know, and if it wasn't his actual plan to to split the company up like that, you know, he could have yeah, come out and just said so. Yeah. And said this, you know, that didn't come from me. That's not my plan. I don't uh, that, yeah that, what if it's it, what if it was a situation where he sort of knew that he at that point somehow he knew that he wasn't the front runner and he thought let's just try something wild and uh, right. you know sort of a John McCain getting Sarah Palin in the race right. and uh and it backfires like what, that what's the old uh, saying never attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity <laughs> uh, and i always thought that that made a lot of sense even with the whole uh, thing where he was at Nokia and when he first went there from Microsoft and there were a lot of people who said wait they've hired a guy from Microsoft and then he comes in and the first thing he says is we should ditch all of our existing plans <laughs> and go with Windows phone and a lot of people right. said is this you know is he like a like a double agent is he right. you know the pup puppet government right yeah. i mean what if he's come in here and purposefully trying to uh run the company into the ground so that Microsoft can buy them. And then he ran the company into the ground, <laughs> lost a lot of shareholder value. Uh, and and made tens of millions of dollars for himself. When, when right, right, with right. a crazy contract that was right. structured in a way that it, <laughs> if the company lost a lot of value and was sold, or if the mobile handset division was sold, that he would profit. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it played out, uh, you know, conspiracy theorists would have a, have a field day with that one because it played out perfectly along those lines. Right. And, and so I don't know. I mean, it actually, it makes sense both ways that he's actually not very uh, good at his job mm-hmm. or he's devilishly good but devious. You know, both explanations make sense. I don't think either explanation makes him a good pick to be Microsoft CEO, though. I agree, and and there's a, there's another sort of interesting wrinkle to this when I was sort of reading through all these stories that I realized, which is that um, so now not being CEO, he is going to be when the when the deal I think the deal is closing sometime this quarter with Nokia, um, he will be the one put in charge of the devices um, business basically, right. and that was with the with the previous reorg. If you remember, there was this there was this sort of big press cycle around uh, Julie Larson Green, right? Um, who was uh, previously uh, an executive, but not one of the senior executives at the company. And she was being elevated to senior executive and put in charge of the devices thing uh, right before they announced the the Nokia deal. And I remember, I think there was, 
I don't remember who ran the profile. It may have been The Verge. It may have been someone else. But they had a big profile on her and how, like, she's ascending to the top of the company and, and maybe, you know, like, uh, maybe she will one day be CEO. And now, all of a sudden, with the with the Nokia deal, uh, Elop is, is now her boss. So she got demoted, essentially. Um and uh, you know, and and then the thinking there was that well, maybe it's only a temporary thing because maybe when uh, you know when Elop is is anointed CEO, she will get her her job back. But it obviously didn't play out that way. Yeah, I, and is she still? In, I th- she's not in charge of Windows, though. Um, I would have to look what what it I is. Thought, I do know that she was. Um, I know she was for a while. She worked with Sanofsky. Uh, yeah, right. Because she point. took over when right. uh, when he was out, um, and sort of took over that thing. But yeah, I believe with the reorg, she was the one being put in charge of the division that uh, Elop is now in char- will be in charge of once once they acquire uh, Nokia. All right. I think one thing that, that springs to my mind, and and it really shows. I think I really do think that just how how badly a job Balmer did in certain ways. And I do know, I know that he, you know, under his leadership, the company's revenues and profits have gone up, 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 yep. even over the last few years. And that's, you know, so he's by no measure a complete failure. And, right. and I think, you know, for years, it's not just after the fact, but all along, he's publicly stated that that's how he measures the success of the company. Right. Um, so in some measures, you know, Microsoft's board got exactly what they thought they or should have thought they were going to get under Balmer. But the th- one of the ways that I think that he really left them in the lurch was was with how many other executives he effectively pushed out over the last five, six years. <laughs> yeah, like Sanofsky, right. like Ray Ozzy, yep. um, Robbie uh, Bach. Yeah, the two, the, the Xbox guys. Jay Allard. Jay Allard. Right, right, who, you know, a lot of people sort of... Uh, you know, even just a couple of years ago, I'm not even sure what he's up to anymore. But even just a couple of years ago, a lot of people considered him sort of a peer to uh, like a Tony Fidel, like a rival, you know, like, right, you know, near the top and in charge of consumer devices and a keen eye for, you know, leading that sort of team. Uh, and all those people were gone and all those people and who, you know, some of them, maybe they should have been gone. I don't know. I always thought Ray Ozzy, for example, to me was a little bit was not a practical person. It always seemed to me when I listened to him talk that he, I, I was like, what did he really say? I don't know. It never, it never really made a lot of sense. Well, to and, me. and he, I mean, he had the, he had sort of the hardest role to step into, which was replacing the Gates role, right? Because right. he was supposed to be the uh, the chief sar- software right. architect. So I'm not going to say that all of them should have stayed or that it was possible, but the fact is that none of them stayed. All of them were gone, and so in terms of continuity. And picking and somebody from the inside and having a smooth transition, which you know, and let's just face it, I mean, in some aspects, the public relations of a CEO transition are the stakes are high, but the the optics are simple, right? What you really want is a nice smooth handoff with a handshake and a smile, and it all happens in one announcement. Yep. Right. It's I'm stepping down, and I'm happy to say the board has already approved that my protege insert name here, is replacing me. The company's in great hands. We've worked together for the last so many years. Uh, he or she has led this part of the company to great success. Uh, couldn't be happier. It's a great day for the company. There you go. 
and which that's, is which is exactly what Apple did under very different circumstances. Circumstances for the stepping down of the of the CEO, right? Yeah, it was, right. but you know, it it Apple was clearly set up where let's in some alternate universe where uh, you know Jobs stayed a, a step ahead of the cancer, mm-hmm. but decided, you know, I'm I, you know took a look at what happened with the cancer and took a look at what he'd done through, you know, the release of the iPad and said, you know what, I'm going to Hawaii, <laughs> right? I'm going to become chairman of the board and I'm going to come in for two or three weeks a year and I'm going to Hawaii for the other 50, 49 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been Tim Cook is, you know, he's been COO for all this time. He's done a great job. The company's in great hands, you know, sayonara. Yep. Right. It would have been exact same transition, just you know, not you know, without the the tragedy. Yes. Um, and Balmer really, it, and and I can't help but feel that you know, political intrigue wise, that that he did that on purpose. You know, that it was too. You know, it's sort of a Godfather. You know, like a mafia movies type scenario. But with instead of killing him, it's just getting squeezing people out of the company. Yeah, and there there've long been those sort of rumors that that is what Palmer was like, you know, not so even secretly doing, sort of just anyone who was who was rising to a level that that seemed like it could challenge him in uh within the company was uh was somehow immediately um, you know, exited. Right, cuz so company. just take for example Sanofsky, who is a very smart guy, and when you read like, you know, he's blogging now and stuff, his stuff is to me very cogent and makes a lot of sense. Uh you know, I think if he had still been at the company, clearly would have been a, if not the leading candidate, and he wasn't there anymore. And I, once he's not there anymore, I feel like PR-wise, the board was kind of, you know, legally speaking, of course, they could hire anybody. You know, they could hire, you know, they could try to hire Tim Cook. They could hire, you know, they could certainly bring Sanofsky back. But bringing Sanofsky back would be like a slap in Balmer's face, and it would make yep. the company look bad. Yeah, for sure. Like he, you know, their hands were tied in terms of if any of those people who left the company, if the board actually thought these were good candidates to lead the company. So, do you? What do you think happens now with Nadella as CEO? Do you think that there will be more internal sort of shakeup and strife? Do you see that? Do you think people will leave because they were either passed over, like? You know, we'll see what happens with Elop. I assume that he can't. He must have some sort of, you know, handcuffs to uh, that are a part of the Nokia deal, where he has to come over and actually stay within the company for a while. But you know, there's there's others. There's uh, you know, Tony Bates, like we were talking about. There's there's several others who, um, you know, could have felt like they were slighted in some way. And um, are they are they going to feel weird now being managed by or being you know overseen by what was their peer before? Right. I don't know. I don't know enough about the company. To- to, to have a sense of that. I my guess is no though. It sounds to me and reading you know the blogs of of people who are more juiced into Microsoft and and you know know people who work there. It seems like he's a very pop, seen as a popular choice from within the company. Yeah. So yeah, if I there think- are executives who might leave if Elop might try to get out now or whatever, I don't know. But I think in terms of the rank and file though, it's it's seen as a good move. Yeah, and I think that's sort of been the consensus among everything you read, even sort of talking to Microsoft employees. Now, they seem pretty excited about this. I do think, though, I think there is still the lingering questions in the air as to 
once this honeymoon period is over, uh, what they are actually going to do. Is it going to just be executing Balmer's uh, strategy uh, with Nadella, or are they going to actually try to make some different choices with um, you know some of the products that just aren't going anywhere? Right. Well, and the b- other big question I have is, what is Bill Gates' actual role? Yeah. And, and yeah. it was, you know, it's... I forget how they phrase it. It was actually a very deft turn of phrase where he's he, not that he stepped down as chairman, but he's stepped up into stepped up <laughs> right. into a day to day role. It's actually you know we laugh, but it's actually a very good PR oh, right. Put it, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Uh, yep. You know, so yeah. So he said he's going to be spending a third of his time right on this yeah. on Microsoft now, which is significant uh, considering before. Obviously, he was chairman, but I think he was you know very not involved in a very major way at all. It's all his uh, philanthropy. And so now he's willing to take on this more. But, um, you know, what what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, is he... I, I think, you know, the, the easiest thing in the world that I think he could do that would be beneficial to the company is just, just as something as simple as sort of being the yes-no man, uh, you know, like the last... Uh, the last word on like what they actually uh, either they decide to to go after in terms of new projects or what they actually ship. Um, it just seems like you know they just sort of are at this place now where the where they sort of put everything out there. And and Windows Eight is a is a good example of that in my mind because I mean all of us looking at it from the outside, not all of us, but a lot of us looking at it from the outside, I think s- sort of saw where this was going. I you know I remember I was talking to sort of developers who were sort of beta testing Windows 8 and like you know trying to gauge their their um their thoughts on it and everyone was like unanimous in saying like this is going to be a total nightmare um for the company and somehow the company didn't see that and right. they thought it would be a great thing and they shipped it. It, it like i don't know if they just weren't talking to people on the outside or what but there should have been someone within the company who, with the power to be able to say like look let's uh let's stop here i know it'll look really bad if we uh, if we delay uh, an opera, a major operating system, but you know, it might be worse if we ship something that you know the, the community just totally rejects, which is what happened. I, you know, my my take on it, as I wrote last week, is that I think that Windows Eight was designed to fit a goal, as opposed to being designed to be good in and of itself. By which I mean that that to me, Balmer never shook the view that the way things ought to be in the world, the right way, the way the industry should be, should be that somewhere around 95% of all computing devices should be running Windows. And that was no, you know, iOS and Android combined uh, in two very different ways, but, you know, hand in hand over the last six years changed that to the case where, um, you know, and Horace Deju is the one who who graphed this. I think brilliantly that it's only like if you count smartphones and tablets as computing devices, which I think is very very fair. You're installing yeah. apps on them. You're browsing the web. Yeah, you're doing all the same right. things. Windows they are computers. There's more yeah. Windows devices in use than ever before in the aggregate, but because there's so many other computing devices, it's an explosion of new devices that only, you know, in 2007, 90% of all computing devices were running Windows, 90. Mm -hmm. And in 2013, at the end of the year, it was like 38% or 35%. It's an enormous number, but now it's like the world is federated. It's, you know, there's... 
there's three or four mega platforms for computing devices and windows is just one of them. And it's not even uh, a majority anymore and it never will be again. But I don't think Balmer ever came to grips with that and accepted it. And I think windows eight's goal was look, people want touchscreens. We'll add a touchscreen thing to it. And then everything in theory could be running windows eight and uh, yep, that'll be good. And, and that's, and that's so crazy when you think about that, just, you know, when, when you're saying that right now, it's just like, Microsoft obviously looked at the world. They saw, you know, their dominant position, and you have to assume that they were like looking around them, seeing like who who could possibly, you know, like uh, compete with us, and sort of looking at the competitions. Like Apple is out there, and they have a a very small percentage of of market share with 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 Macs. And um, instead, what happened is they were just totally blindsided because they didn't realize that the competition wouldn't come in the form of an actual computer. It would come in the form of a phone, right. and then later a tablet, and now. Balmer, you know, saw that uh, six, seven years too late, and now is trying to squeeze Windows, which doesn't even make sense. Of course, uh, there are no more Windows onto these devices uh, in order to sort of unify and get get the house back in order. But you just can't do that. Yeah, and I, I really don't think it matters that much. And you know, I got a lot of pushback on that, or or I got a lot, most mostly agreement, but I got some pushback on my piece last week from people who who truly do believe that what they want is in in admitting that Windows 8 as it is is not perfect and not good enough, but that the goal is tenable to have one operating system and have a device that is terrific for mouse and keyboard or trackpad and keyboard, however, you know, a mouse pointer on screen and mm. pixel precise control and touch and that you could do it. And then it would simplify things because you've got, you know, all the, you know, you can have your uh, cake and eat it too. And, you know, I'm not going to say they're wrong. I can't prove that they're wrong. All I can say is that everything I've seen to date suggests that they're wrong. And, you know, the, you're thinking about it, of course, like in a, in a utopian world where everything is perfect uh, would you rather have one device that can do everything versus sort of two or three devices that you have to have with you at all times? Of course, I think everyone would want that. But it's not that simple. It's not that simple for both users, but it's also not that simple for developers. Could you imagine a developer trying to develop you know, a, a, a Windows 8 uh, application for both a phone and a computer that operates in the same way. I mean, they would. It, first of all, it can't operate in the same way, uh, and so they would. They would take so much more development into it. And, and like, do you think a startup is going to be able to do that? You know, a company with like two people, they're going to have to to do all this work to get something to work on this Windows unified platform. It's just, it's it's just not realistic to think about at least right now. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, you know who in their right mind would actually argue that that we can live in that world right now? It's just yeah. we can't. And you know, to me, I've always said, you know, uh, a question I've tried to, you know, my whole writing career is what is design? What does it mean? And it's it's hard. It's hard to really nail it down. But uh, the best explanation I've ever come up with is design is making decisions to solve problems. It's the decision making, and. I'll go back to when they unveiled the Surface strategy and they came out with two. They had the Surface that runs real Windows and can have, you know, traditional Windows apps and it runs on the, Intel chips. The Surface Pro it was called. Right. right. And the then Surface there's Pro. the Surface RT, which was the more iPad style one, which ran on ARM and was thinner and lighter, but only ran, um, you know, the Metro apps. 
right? And to me, that's a failure of design. It's both are reasonable strategies, but you can't ship both, right? You <laughs> you know there there was uh, just it, it's nowhere near as profound a difference. But I know for a fact that um, I'm sure you, I think we even talked about this. But late in the game for the original iPad. And and the original one, and for the first two years, had a, an equal width bezel all the way around the screen. It's easy to forget now with the Air and the new Mini. And they had version with the home button where it is, and then and they had another version where the home button was on the long side. And that, mm -hmm. in other words, that the, is the default orientation of an iPad, hor horizontal or vertical, landscape or portrait. And they had both versions until very late in the game. Um, and only made that decision at the end. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure if I am that I'll get an email about it, but I'm pretty sure that the coordinate system of the iPad for developers, I don't even know if it still is the same, but it, it, the coordinate system was such that the zero, zero point made it seem as though the home button should be on the long side, not the short side. They didn't ship both of those, right? They didn't say, hey, if you want an iPad, figure out which way you want to hold it and, you know, most of the time and buy the one with the home button as such. Right. Uh, they shipped one. They had to decide, you know, and I know that that happened to be a contentious decision within the company. And it was, it really was like, uh, you know, like a 51 to 49 type thing. And I, you know, surely, you know, because of when it came out, that the the deciding vote came down to uh, to Steve Jobs, but it was, you know, a lot of people on both sides of that. But I don't think anybody, even the people who wanted it on the the other, you know, the other location, nobody would have endorsed the idea of shipping both, right? You know, and I feel like that's what the Surface Pro versus Surface RT is. That there were people within the company who wanted it one way, and people who wanted it the other, and so they said, okay, let's make everybody happy. We'll ship both. Yeah, and I wonder if if uh, if sort of Balmer's thought on that was like, look, we're already behind in this space. Let's just get both out there and see which works, if e if any of them work, and maybe sort of let the masses decide what they want, since we're we really can't afford to make uh, make a one bet here. Um, but you know, I I can't imagine that is how that played out because of course they took a what was it a nine hundred million dollar write down on right. the on the RT uh, that's a, that was very detrimental to their that one quarter where it basically sank and tanked their entire quarter. So and that's not Balmer's uh, as we just talked about. You know, he's he's the business guy. He always yeah. delivered his numbers, and that was the one quarter he did really awful on a billion uh, here and a billion down. there, and you eventually you do have a problem no matter how big you are. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. First sponsor is our good friends at Squarespace. Now, you know Squarespace. Squarespace is constantly improving their platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. They have beautiful designs for you to start with and all the style options you need to create your own unique website for yourself or your business. It's easy to use. Their support team is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have 100 employees on the customer care team alone, based in New York. Uh, it's an amazing thing. The support alone is one of the most amazing things. Services plans start at just $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. 8 bucks a month for a top-notch platform for launching your website. You can start a trial with no credit card required. Uh, free trial. 
right? And and that it, I just noticed that from another sponsor and another thing earlier. And that that no credit card required is a big deal because everybody knows if you if the free trial requires a credit card, that means if you forget to cancel, you're going to start getting charged, and then you got to deal with the hassle. No credit card required. The free trial. You don't start paying. You don't give them your credit card until you want to pay. And when that happens, when you do want to pay, here's what you do: use the offer code Bond B O N D. Uh, and you'll get 10% off your purchase, and uh, they'll know you came from this show. Uh, so my thanks to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com, and remember the offer code BOND, as in James Bond. They pick, uh, they're doing like these cutesy codes where they uh, pick things that are of interest to the hosts of the show. It's uh, good. It's easy to remember. Yeah. It's nice. Uh, so go there, and my thanks to them. I think we're done with the Microsoft thing. <laughs> yeah, this. I mean, this is going to be a story for the next yeah. God knows how many years. I do think. I guess the only other thing is the fact that that uh, Nadella comes from the um, the server side. Servers, yep. And yep. Uh, my colleague at Q Branch, Brent Simmons, has written about it. That he's really happy about it because he's done a lot of coding on uh, on Azure. You know, as a back end for an iOS developer. Mm-hmm. And his, his point, I thought, was really, really astute where the old microsoft was always in their own universe technically and you know and it worked out for them but you know they wrote everything was theirs there was their own os their own kernel uh you know they're the only ones in in the world who who've you know the whole world's effectively gone unix you know mac os 10 is unix linux is a clone of unix uh, Android runs on has a Linux kernel, and at the kernel level, you know every the whole world went Unix. Except, you know, even your TiVo runs a version of Linux. Except Windows, Windows is like the this alternate universe. It's this, you know, everything was their own, their own programming languages, uh, their own APIs, everything at a technical, their own networking, their own mail server. You know. Everybody else is using IMAP. They have Outlook. You know, it's all proprietary. That was the Microsoft way. And it, you know, a, a little bit of stubbornness. Strategically, it was often about lock-in. Uh, the Windows Server division that Nadella ran is very different. You know, they they support. You know, you can do things like you know, really hip modern stuff like Node.js. Uh, I don't know how do people say that. Do they say the dot Node.js? Yep. Uh, Either you know. Yep. It, 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 it's, yeah, and I wonder. So you know, you'd you'd hope that that mentality sort of spreads to the other divisions now, and they sort of Microsoft sort of opens up. I think you know, and if if they are going to do that, Nadell is obviously the right person to make that happen. I think that he recognizes and is realistic about the world that that we live in and the world Microsoft exists in now, and it can't be the siloed uh, behemoth anymore because that is the way. That's the way forward of you know. The company eventually, uh, you know, finding hard times, very hard times, potentially. Uh, While, you know, we talked about the numbers are great now. You know, the numbers can be deceiving a lot of times. Uh, The numbers were great for Nokia. The numbers were great for RIM leading up to when all of a sudden they're not great. Um, And you could argue that Microsoft certainly has a lot of the characteristics of those same companies, even when posting great numbers, Um, because there's a few things that can happen that can make this ship sort of uh, start to sink really quickly. And Nadella is... Uh, given sort of all the stuff that you're talking about and his uh, his willingness to uh, realize the world that, that we live in now, I think that he is probably the best candidate to sort of try to uh, wake Microsoft up. 
Yeah, I think numbers, financial numbers are, and I don't think this is any kind of deep insight. I think this is common sense, but it it seems like an awful lot of people can be fooled by it. They're a lagging indicator, not a leading indicator. Right. Um, so the iPhone didn't make a huge dent financially for Apple for a couple of years. You know, it, it happened pretty quickly, but certainly 2007, it, it was not a significant financial thing. I mean, the whole thing was, they, I think their goal for the first year was to sell them 1 million phones. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people thought that was, a, a lot of people thought they weren't going to do it. Or was, or was it 10 million in the first year? Maybe it was 10 I, million for the year. Maybe it was for the year, but yeah. he, he did state the million thing. He wanted to right. make sure to get that. But and it, then there was the, the certain percentage that they were trying to hit. Right? 1% of the phone market they wanted. Right, that's right. Uh, yeah. it, it took a little bit. And if you just looked at how many phones they were selling when the first iPhone came out, it was not that huge. Um, and conversely, uh, RIM had a great year in 2007 and 2008. Nokia was still good. I was in, in the research on a on an article I'm writing, um, maybe we'll talk about it later in the show, the same subject, but uh, just about that same subject, leading numbers as a leading lagging indicator. In October of 2007, here is a headline in the New York Times. Uh, this is five or six months after the iPhone shipped. Mm -hmm. uh, Nokia profit soars as market share need nears 40%. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> you know, it, like numbers are not, I don't know. I think that that's. It was you, right? Who, who when the Microsoft CFO stepped down earlier this year, right? And <laughs> right, you, yeah. what did you write about that? I thought that was. I, I just remember that really stuck uh, out in my mind. I think I said uh, uh, using the Game of Thrones analogy, like uh, who is who is uh, best poised to know when winter is coming? Right. Uh, the the CFO. Right. And who's second best to know? The CEO. And so both of those guys are gone now within uh, within Microsoft. Right. That this, you know, if there's anybody at Microsoft who maybe had a could smell something in the air that you know, not this quarter, not next quarter, but down the road. Yeah, let's start looking at talking about years rather than quarters uh and maybe look one or two years ahead that you know, trouble is brewing. It very likely would have been the CFO and he got out of dodge <laughs> he did and and by the way uh he i think he said at the time in microsoft statement at the time was that you know he was taking some uh uh he has been uh in the in the ranks uh for you know 30 40 years or whatever it was um and he he's finally ready to just take time and be with his family indefinitely and i think uh four months later he was in a new cfo job <laughs> <laughs> right and that just gets back down to the those those very simple PR optics of executive shakeups at big companies that, you know, you always say that you never want to make it look like there's any kind, you know, uh, no matter how ugly it is, you want to downplay the ugliness. Yep. You know, and it's true for all companies. We're not just laughing at Microsoft. I mean, it's the same way when, uh, uh, Forstall got pushed out at Apple. Yeah, I mean, and they right. were a little bit, a little bit, honest about it with the whole increased collaboration you know which is right exactly what they were in, they were indirectly honest they didn't yeah. say that forstall was was the problem uh but they indicated there was a problem with uh you know with everyone sort of being on the same page right you could read between the lines and it came out that uh the those of us who are left are going to get along a lot better now uh 
have you heard of anything from about him recently by the way no i have not have you i haven't either no No. i would assume you know like the way that these deals usually are structured is that um someone is uh you know being shown the door but uh at the same time they have so much proprietary information and knowledge about especially with apple with top secret things sort of being worked on that apple certainly doesn't want them going to a competitor and um really doesn't want them out on the marketplace at all um And so, you know, they usually give them some sort of uh, exit package, which very well, you know, compensated for ensuring that they stay with the company for something like a year, uh, sometimes more, sometimes less. Um, I think Tony Fidel may have had the same type of thing. You know, he's a Fidel's was adult. not as contentious, though. No, definitely not. I, I think that that's 100% true. Right. But, you know, he was, uh, you know, as Forstall, I believe, is now a special advisor to the CEO or whatever. Yeah, I don't um, know if he still is or not, though. It's, it's you know, they never named it what his period was. I have heard, I have not heard what he's up to. I have heard from a, a pretty good uh, little birdie that, yeah, that he, exactly what you're saying is, it, but that he was offered what, and I'll never forget the words, a truckload of money. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you drive off in this truck full of cash and for X. We, now, the one thing my birdie did not know is how, how long X is. His guess was a year, but maybe it's longer. Yeah. And I for would the guess next it's a year. For the next year, you do nothing. You cannot work for anybody, and you cannot speak to anybody, and you don't tweet, you don't have a Facebook, you, you know, you anybody, you know, reporters call you, you don't answer the phone. Not just um, to talk about but, Apple, but anything, right? So. And, I do think that that's what has happened, and the interesting thing now, of course, is that it has been a year. It's it's um, it's just over a year, right? Right. That was no, it was when yeah, it was like December. So it's you know, I, I I remember looking it up for the date, and I knew that it was after all of the product announcements. You know, it right. Uh, it was the t- the slow period. Yeah, I forget if it was November Apple. or December, but it, it yeah. was somewhere around there. And I ever since then, I've sort of like. Just you know, double check to make sure that he hasn't started, you know, maybe showing up at, at at events and stuff like that. But so far, I've heard nothing. I heard from one reader who saw him somewhere, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it was just it's like a yet yet right. sighting. It's like he's not, yeah. you know, housebound. He's not under house arrest. <laughs> That'd be sort of interesting. Um, but yeah, so I do think that we will see him surface at some point in the next few months. I do wonder, you know, he's he's a relatively young guy. I yep. think that he could definitely do a startup if he wanted to. He would certainly have no problem getting any funding that he wanted. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's like 40, something. 41, something. I mean, he's right around my age. Very, very uh, close. One of the weird, what if one of the weird wild cards is to sort of tie this debate together? What if Microsoft tries to hire him? You know, a lot of people, that's like, it, like a frequently asked question in my reader email is, you know, and, well, not now, but during the whole run up was, would that be right. possible? And I, I guess it's not impossible, but I always thought that it wasn't a good match for either company just because yeah. they're so different. Right. Uh, in, in pretty much every way. Right. And I don't think that he would want to I would imagine that he would do something more a lot more like Tony Fidel Fidel and yeah, totally. go get some funding and start something new that would be obviously you know uh, Nest became you know relatively big relatively quickly I mean it sold for over 3 billion dollars I mean which is you know you're talking billions not millions it's a pretty good deal uh but compared to Apple where Fidel was before very very small right but you can't start right. something that big 
right? You can either <laughs> right. start something new that's relatively small, even if it has a lot of investment and very big goals, or you can step into an existing giant. And I, I just don't see Forstall stepping into an existing giant. It, it's, I guess – I guess maybe the only one I could see, and, and again, I have no idea of what he'll do or any insight into the, any real uh, knowledge of, of what's going on, but I wouldn't be shocked if somehow Facebook convinced him to come there and to do some sort of skunk works project mm. um, that, you know, that he would be best suited for. It's just like you feel when I, I see, I see Facebook do sort of these deals a lot where they, they hire sort of above what you think their weight should be, right? Where they, they convince these people to get in there and, uh, and sort of work on these projects and just give them whatever resources they need. Um and so that wouldn't actually shock me, even though that would be a sho- sort of a shocking headline. I wouldn't be so surprised by that. Yeah, that's, yeah I, I think I would see it more. That's really only one more as Facebook incubating a an, an ambitious new division. Yeah. Not that he yeah. would step in and run anything that Facebook already has. Yeah, yeah. I could see that though. That, I would see that as one existing company that I could see him going to. Couldn't see him going to Google couldn't microsoft i just don't see it i really don't it just it just seems like it's it's intriguing to think about it but i just don't see how it really matched would have matched up for either of them yeah and i agree i i largely agree with that i think you know the only reason i bring it up now is just because of the new leadership thing you know like maybe uh maybe he's able to be convinced that things are really going to they really want to change things and so like you know this is how we're this is how much we want to change things we're bringing in a guy synonymous with sort of apple and and one of steve jobs's lieutenant from the next days uh you know to to really show you how how different we're thinking here's a question i've i've thought about and to me i don't i don't really mean it as a joke i i I actually it actually makes me a little sad is do you do you think scott forstall upgraded his phone to ios 7 (laughs) that's a very good question it is funny he's still he's still uh wouldn't have to yet right like there's you could still get away with running uh, what was the last version of six six but he'd have to also be running an old iphone 5 can't you can't yes, use an right. iPhone 5s right. and it, did he get a 5s and did he have to like buy it online uh i uh, he seems like a green 5c guy i don't know <laughs> but i i i know it is funny. it's funny but it's not i i've met forstall a few times can't say i'm close to him but i've met him he uh-huh. was always very nice to me uh and you know he's a, i i liked him Right, and I, I, you know, I would, uh, I would also say that uh, clearly, I'm a big fan of his work, and how, you know, whether it was the right move or not to squeeze him out is almost beside the point. I just feel bad that it didn't work out. I do in a certain way, and I can imagine it. It, it was his life's work. I mean, the only thing he ever right. did was work at Next. He went right from college to Next and worked his way up, and you know, it was a continuous thing for his entire adult life, working from Next to. Apple and the Mac OS X transition to Mac OS X to the entire creation of iOS. And, you know, I think very clearly they took iOS in a different direction. <laughs> and so, yeah, he'd be using it every day and staring right. at, like, but, the cause of his but sort of what else? what else is he going to do? He's not going to switch to Android. Surely he still is using an iPhone. I think I, so, the only thing I can imagine... I, 
my only real like i i don't think i've ever interacted with forstall i don't think in all the time like in all the different apple events i don't think i ever actually spoke with him but i have seen him of course a number of times and i actually saw him out and about once at a concert of all places and um i just remember my 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 lasting sort of memory of that is uh is him uh, just like being very adamant about taking so many pictures using his iPhone. And hmm. so that leads me to believe that even if he hates iOS 7, he has to like the iPhone 5S just for the better camera. Yeah. And so he might be just using it solely for the camera uh, and willing to forego his uh, sort of hatred, uh, if he has hatred of iOS 7. All right. And surely up until when the iPhone 5S came out, he, he'd never bought an iPhone in his life. I mean, he'd been using the new ones, <laughs> right. you know, as soon as they were, you know, prototypes were in from the factory. Uh, yep. uh, you know, and, and presumably every single detail and pixel of the OS met with his approval, or at least, you know, he'd gotten his input into. Uh, and now, you know, it, you know, to me, it's like, a, it's like a weird, it's just, to imagine the scenario, what does he do? Go online and do it? I mean, he's not he can't go to an Apple store, <laughs> right? <laughs> so he's got to like I, go online, yeah. or maybe you know, maybe as a uh, an assistant or something, you know, an assistant yeah, who this can is, go buy it for him. This is like the end of Shawshank Redemption or whatever. Like this is, no, but it's more like um, what's what's the character? Uh, the the old man who sort of gets reintroduced into the world after all the years in uh right in prison <laughs> right and it's like <laughs> he doesn't know how to how to do anything right and it's like you haven't <laughs> hasn't seen a supermarket with with ocr scanners right, <laughs> right. wasn't that the right. thing with george bush uh the first george bush president because he'd been a vice president for like you know from like 1980 and then he was the president and then you know it came out and like when he was running against clinton in 93 he'd never seen a an ocr scanner in a supermarket well <laughs> why make fun of him for that the guy had you know hadn't done grocery right. shopping i mean what do you think that the vice president does his own grocery shopping no right. so but he, you know the last time he'd been in a supermarket was like 1979 <laughs> i don't know it just to me is it's something to imagine i don't know I'm betting he does. I'm betting he's. You know, I, I would bet he does too. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, and it's. It, it's uh, it would be hard. I think it also would be very hard for someone like him to use old technology when he's been so bleeding edge. You know, the entire time. Right. It'd be frustrating. But he's like in a unique situation where you know, the the what ifs will never stop, in terms of right. you know what he's got in his hand. But that's my guess. My guess is he has a 5s and runs iOS seven and just seethes. He he might even run iOS seven point one because it's it finally doesn't crash every five seconds. <laughs> do, you, do you think? That, but that that raises another question: Did he sign up for a developer account? <laughs> a developer account? Because yeah. surely his old one doesn't work. He can't. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that you know that his cut off from the yeah. Apple VPN. He can't just do that. Uh, yeah. Do you and do you think like he's been tinkering around with making some apps? Uh, you know, just I wonder. Sort of, I don't know. I mean, off. Annette, it's absolutely the case. I don't think that he was spent his days as, as you know a senior VP writing code, but I mean, he you know that's he worked he his way it. up from that, yeah. right? Yeah, right. I remember there was a uh, it was a, a WWDC session a couple years ago, and it's sort of an obscure one, and I forget who was leading it, but it, it, I was sitting in the audience, and it was. Uh, but you know, the guy on stage was an old next hand, but he's you know he's still just an engineer, like a senior engineer at Apple, and he's given a WWDC presentation. And he was talking about something in iOS that was, or maybe it was Mac OS X, but either way, 
that had roots back to an old thing that he had done at Next in 1989. And uh, and he said, here, let me show you what I did. And, uh, you know, here was the thing I wrote in 1989 while I was at Next. And, you know, you could see the roots are here to today. And he was like, uh, here's the about box from the thing I wrote then. And it was the credits were him and Scott Forstall. He was like, I don't know what happened to the other guy. <laughs> and this was when Forstall was still the senior VP. He wasn't right, making a right. joke at Forstall's expense last year, but it was, you know, there was a big, big belly laugh at the audience. He was like, <laughs> he was, uh, and, and it was, uh, he was listed second because he was like a, an intern or something at the time. <laughs> but he, you know, he was writing code. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. It would be interesting if he came out with something, if he, you know, came out, you know, decloaked with some kind of startup that was iOS related. Yeah. And so he's always been a software guy. So you'd assume he's not going to do sort of the Tony Fidel type, you know, startup. So he would do more of a, a software type startup. You would, you would assume maybe he's, maybe he would pair up with someone who right. has sort of hardware experience. Um, and certainly there are plenty of ex-Apple people now with the hardware experience that he would know. And uh, But if he were to do something by himself, it would presumably be something in software. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, I'll take a break and thank my second sponsor. Uh, and it is our good friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is unlimited, unthrottled backup for $5 a month. They have an iOS app. This is for your Mac. You install Backblaze on your Mac. It's a little, uh, it's just a simple little thing that goes in system preferences, runs in the background, uploads everything on your Mac that you want. If you have something you don't want backed up, it's easy to make exclusion folders. Everything you want backed up, though, goes to their thing in the cloud. $5 a month. As much space as you have on your Mac, you can back it all up just takes longer for the first backup. That's the only, there is no catch. They have an iOS app that you can use to access and share any of your files. So when you're out and about, you can fire up the app on your iPhone. Get anything that's on your Mac because it's mirrored in the cloud there. Get a file, look something up. Uh, it's founded by ex-Apple engineers. I always emphasize this because it is written by people who you know, know and get the Mac. It doesn't feel like some kind of foreign... Uh, Thing that was ported to the Mac. Uh, runs great on Mavericks. It's up to date. There's no add-ons, no gimmicks, no additional charges. You just sign up. You can start for free. Give it a try. See that it works. Uh, they have like a two-week trial period. Uh, and then when you're ready to go, when you see how it works, $5 a month per computer, and that's it. It's the simplest online backup program to use. Uh, just install it, and it does the rest. And I always emphasize this. It's... It, it's such peace of mind. I'm a happy Backblaze user, and it it just it's such a peace of mind to have a backup that's off site, uh, because you just never know, you know, fire, theft. Like I said, uh, I pointed out when Marco was on the show the other week, uh, you know, that you, you know things you don't even think of, like water damage, like if a pipe in the ceiling above where your computer is, and then and somebody, some reader wrote in and said that exact scenario happened to them where their upstairs neighbor left the their tub running and he came in and his macbook was just completely drenched you know by like gallons of water just completely fried everything on his desk his hard drive so if you have like a time machine hard drive next to your thing that's good but it's not off-site backblaze gives you peace of mind uh really great service where do you go to find out more 
go to uh, www.backblaze.com slash daring fireball. And uh, they'll know you came from here. They'll know you came from the show and uh, can't recommend them enough. Really, really good stuff. My thanks to Backblaze. Uh, how about Facebook paper? Yes. Uh, I have not. So you, you don't have Facebook. Yes. Right, this so. is the dilemma. Let me explain. I, I've not written about this much on Daring Fireball. I have never signed up for Facebook. Still haven't. Uh, have never been tempted to until now because I'm tempted wow, to sign up maybe for this- Facebook just to use paper. And in fact, I, I've been thinking about this for longer than just the last week because I actually got uh, a briefing from Facebook in New York a week or two before paper came out. They, you know, uh, Mike Mattis emailed me and said, hey, you know, I got, I've you know, finally got something to show. You, you know, wouldn't want to come up and see. I'm going to be in New York. And I was like, sure. And uh, I was just blown away. Absolutely positive. I haven't written about it because I don't know how to contextualize it yet. Because I am so. It, Why don't you just make it? Can you make like just a dummy account, and not friend anyone? Just so you I don't know. It? You know, and it's weird. I guess are, that's are what you, I should do. I don't know. I mean, I've seen it. I, I most of my experience it, with the app is with Mike's account. I, I just used Mike's <laughs> phone and. Maybe he just has a beautiful family, and that's why you like. Uh, well, you know, that's the pushback against it. The pushback against p- paper that I've seen is that it's it. It's great if your friends are all uh, UI design artists who take really great <laughs> right. photos, and right. it isn't great if you're you like most people on Facebook, and it's your family takes really shitty photos and you know posts the you know cat gifts and stuff like that. <laughs> so, but your your predicament raises an interesting question, which is that I wonder if. Facebook is able to either for the first time. You, obviously, you know that you're you're certainly an oddity in the uh, in being in a developed country, you know, and not having having Facebook at this point. But um, uh, I wonder if they feel like it's also an opportunity to not only bring in new but re-engage sort of people who are who are burnt out by Facebook, which is many many people. I mean, uh, basically, you talk to anyone in you know within your 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 own personal circles. You'll have several people who say like, "Yeah, Facebook is so lame now," or Facebook is sort of it's all just you know my it's all for my parents, um, uh, or it's just you know it's just sort of like old high school friends that I never talk to anymore using it, so it's really not that interesting to me anymore. But paper, you know, is a, is a complete reimagining of what the experience should be like, um, and there are definitely things that I like and don't like about it. Uh, certainly, it's beautifully designed. Um, and I think uh, there's there's some great functionality in there, but I don't really I don't know. I mean, we we could dive into all the little all the little things about it. Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned that that a lot of what and you will know this better having talked to Mike Mattis about it directly. But I'm a little bit concerned that it's that it's a little bit too worried uh, about sort of addressing the Twitter question head on, which is you know like no one is using Facebook really to talk about current events or at least. The right people aren't using Facebook uh, that they want uh, to get the word out there. Like during the Super Bowl, you know, like tweets are going crazy. Everyone's talking about it. Is anyone using Facebook? Facebook tried to get people using it this year. They they reached out to a bunch of celebrities. Yeah, I saw that. That, that yeah. document leaked. You know, talking about like what you should be t- uh, using Facebook for during the Super Bowl. Um, and so when I look at paper, 
uh, when I look beyond the the obvious beauty on the surface, I see sort of a a desire to get back into sort of the real time news conversation. Um, which mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that's coming from the, the I, right place or not. Yeah, I think you're off on that. And having talked to Mike about it, I don't think that's what their goal is. I think their goal is a little bit. It's almost obvious, which is that. And in fact, it's a direct answer to the thing I just said a minute ago that the that the complaint is that people aren't cultivating what they post to Facebook to make it beautiful. And okay. the papers theory is the paper team's theory is nobody's going to do that until we give them a beautiful way, a, a beautiful interface to do it. That it's, mm -hmm. it's the, if we build it, they will come theory that they have to build a beautiful interface to paper first that encourages a sort of more, I, I, I know that a lot of people are going to laugh and say, come on, Facebook and artistic expression, you know, it's not what it was for. But that's, you know, it, it, that's a little bit highfalutin, but it's more or less what they're thinking, that if we give them this beautiful, serene interface, that that's, yeah. that's when people will start posting things that actually fit better in paper and are a little bit more, uh, not cultivated, but uh, curated. I don't know what you want to say, but it, that it, you, people will generate content that fits in paper and fits he feels right in paper only after paper is out and actually exists it has to okay. be built first so but i don't think it's about uh real-time stuff okay that's interesting so that's i i i can understand how how uh i can definitely understand that line of thinking i will say one other thing that i did here so this was sort of this was being talked about um when paper was released and you know like i think a bunch of people sort of tweeted about it i did and others but i have since heard from a pretty good source on this that it's also uh not out of uh left field to think that this is how facebook is sort of experimenting with new ui to see what would work for the actual product itself so yeah um i asked than, i asked about that like yeah how what, much what, of this what response did you get that, not a direct response and i you know so i don't okay. want to put words in the mic's mouth or uh, anybody so i didn't get it. but it, you know it, I think reading between the lines, and I think just looking at the app, it is clear, you know, and it's exactly like what you wrote uh, on Paris Lemon, that there is no way that they could drop, you know, put out a Facebook.app version that was this and just right, drop right that off the on bat, everybody. Yeah. No way, because <laughs> yeah. they, they've got yeah. too many users, right? And it's too right. way too different. And it doesn't have the complete Facebook experience. It doesn't have everything. Yeah. Um, Though it does have a lot, I think it has way more than I thought it. Would. It's it is a, a very largely a uh, you know it's a, you know what it's a lot like it's a lot like mobile email clients where you know maybe your mobile email client doesn't do everything that you can do with email, but it does most of it, right? That yeah. you can do most of what you do in email with the mail client you're using on your phone, even if it doesn't do everything, and you yeah. might have to use you know something at your desk to. I don't know. I don't think like. Can you create new folders in mail or most mail apps on iPhone? Maybe not, but you know, you can certainly read all of your mail and reply to it and do a lot of other stuff, flag them and stuff. That Facebook Paper is largely a an alternative to Facebook app for your phone. Oh, and I I already I replaced Facebook app uh, with Paper uh, pretty much on day one because it is so much better. Um, it's just. A number of things are better about it. I, I find the performance actually better, uh, which is sort of surprising given how visual it is. But um, 
performance is better it's obviously looks a lot better and it does like you know like you're saying it, it performs the basic sort of the high level functions that you need the one thing it's missing the one complaint uh that people do bring up who use facebook uh is that it's missing events uh and the rumor of course is that facebook is working on a separate events app yeah for, uh, uh, that's what i think app. yeah that's what i think well and i think it all it it, it fits and i think you know i certainly don't know zuck i don't you know and i don't know his mind but the evidence that I've seen with the acquisitions they've made, including Mattis's uh, Push Pop Press right. uh, a little over two years ago when he bought Sofa, um, yep, and also knowing, and you know, this is something I can't name names, but it's in the iOS and Mac developer community, they pretty much went to anybody who's done like Apple Design Award level work and you know made aqua hire offers there's an awful oh, lot of an yeah. awful lot of people who you think i wonder if they went to them the answer is probably yes <laughs> uh, yeah. which makes sense uh for them obviously. right like what's the best talent in the world to do what they want to do it's right in front of them right and i think the explanation is that for a while zuck had it in mind that facebook was a website and that the mobile version should be a mobile version of that website, and you know the early, you know the early versions of the Facebook app for iPhone were um, who was the developer? Was it Joe? It was Hewitt? Uh, Joe Joe Hewitt. Yeah, Joe Hewitt, right. and he did great work, and he you know yeah. really was um, you know. Do you do you remember the HTML five version? You know before yes. there were native apps. Yeah, uh, that was like the first really impressive. Uh, application that i saw again not a native application but right. within the web browser built for the iphone well so one thing you can definitely say for zuck and facebook is as soon as the iphone came out they instantly saw we need to be on that and they did it you know before there were even apps and then when there were apps but they t their initial app was a lot more like not native you know using web things you know web views and stuff like that and i feel like yep. uh uh like a lot of you know it, as a as an indication that he is a very good CEO, I think Zuck had a complete 180 and realized, you know what, native apps matter for mobile, for performance, for latency, for just the way you know it. It just isn't going to work to 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 be one level behind in abstraction with all the the little nagging things that that uh, that that entails. And it was like, so what do we do? Let's hire some great native app developers and designers and i think also part of that is that you on the phone on mobile in general it makes more sense to have not a ton of apps but more separate apps than one app that does everything especially for something the size of facebook because right. facebook can do so many things you know you do events you do chat you do uh, status updates, you do pictures, like all these things. It's like it was getting, it was getting almost ridiculous. Uh, this like the side menu right. uh, that's uh, in the previous one, where it's like there's so there's so many different things that you can drill down into. It's almost like ridiculous to try to hit some of them with a with a fingertip. Right, and you know, take a look at Apple with iTunes, right, Out on the Mac and Windows. And there's, you know, I think a large part of that is because they have to maintain parity on Mac and Windows. But it's a monolithic right. app, and you know. It's almost at this point. It's almost infamous for being uh, uh, overloaded with responsibilities. Yes. And iOS debuted and has sort of stayed with everything broken apart into separate apps. There's a music player app, and uh, 
there's a store app for buying music and a podcast app for podcasts. And you can say, you know, like, you know, and a lot of people aren't happy with the, with the podcast app, but just the fact that the way Apple sees it, it should be a separate app right. says a lot, you know, that that's the way, right. that's the way to develop for mobile. And I think Facebook has that in mind too. And so did you talk to Mattis at all about the fact that it's, it's obviously iPhone first and iPhone only right yes. now, and it's not iPad. Right. Uh, and I think it's, you know, it's just, it's the obvious that, you know, it took them this long to build the iPhone version and it's ready to ship. And so they shipped it and they, you know, no comment on, you know, <laughs> right. whether it there's going to be an iPad version or there's going to be an Android version. Uh, and although I got the feeling, I can't, you know, I can't quote me on it, and, and it's not a quote, but I did get the feeling, though, that his team, at least at the moment, is an iOS team that they, you know, that it's and it's relatively small, right? Um, you know, that if and when there is going to be an Android version of Paper, that it's, you know, they'll need to expand to do it. Well, and I, I wonder if if it would even be that team right like if if zuck really is uh, sort of thinking about this in the in the in the new the new way that you're suggesting sort of moving away from the the facebook is a website and now it's 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 whatever it needs to be on whatever device you're using and so you know you could certainly make the argument uh that maybe it should be different for android entirely than it is even right now for with paper with ios right I, like they have i think that's different Screen sizes and, and different metaphors and different, yep. you know, capabilities. You know, iOS is is much more. Everybody's always said this. It's you know, things animate smoother. It's right. you know, it has these transitions and it has. Uh, when you want to do GPU intensive things, you you have the tremendous advantage of only having to target, uh, you know, two or three GPUs. Right. I don't know what I don't know how far back Facebook Paper works. I don't know if they support like the 4S or what I'm the limit sure. is. But even so, it's there's only three. Even if they go back all the way to the 4S, it's only three generations that they have to support, and it's a right. very, very graphically intensive app. So I wonder. I wonder if Facebook will be sort of the first major um, service to go like total in a totally different direction with their application for Android just because like of what you're talking about where Mattis's team is is I would assume all iOS right, right. now and um, they would either have to hire and sort of train uh, people to in terms of what they've built for iOS and sort of it, even though it's not it wouldn't technically be a like a quote unquote port it would still sort of be a port right it would be like right if they were going to uh, call it paper yeah and so use the same uh, interface and style I don't think so, that they're going to do it. I really wouldn't be surprised if there's never a, I don't know the answer. I really don't. I mean, but uh, my my guess is I wouldn't be surprised if there's never paper for Android. But like you just said, if there's something else Facebook something else for Android that is has a different interface and then never exists for iOS. Which by the way they've done. That's what Facebook Home was, right? right. It was uh, right. it was Android only. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know what? So maybe that's actually a good way of thinking that they've already done that. They've already done a right. thing for Android that doesn't exist on iOS, and it's sort of embracing rather than trying to do this, uh, seeing them as two versions of the same idea, treat them as different, two different things, which I think is actually closer to the truth. You know? Yeah. Uh, uh, and don't do the way. Don't see this the way that 
Windows and Mac OS X evolved where a company like Adobe more or less had the exact same interface for, you know, Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator on Windows and Mac, you know, where the only differences were the iOS, you know, the OS specific things like that the menu bar is at the top on the Mac and the menu is right. in the window on Windows. Uh, but otherwise, it, you know, they shipped at the same time. Uh, they had the same features. They were built from the same code base. I don't think that's the way to do iOS and Android development. I really don't. Yeah, I agree. I think that they, you know, too too often we see these companies go into it, well, we built the iOS version and it's doing great. Now let's make the Android version. It's going to be the same. Instagram, it's the exact same. Right. Um, now, maybe so, Instagram's an example where that makes sense because it's... It does. Yeah. It's you so could argue simple. That. Uh, but... but when you when you should go into the mentality with we want to right. create the best application for this specific device right. or these specific set of devices this OS uh, rather than the other way around yeah and I you know Twitter maybe is an example of doing that wrong where they're sort of developing this like single minded single Twitter interface that's everywhere right you know I don't though we'll we'll see if that continues that was that was uh, that was definitely the marching order for a long time. Um, and I think that a lot of that was driven by the need for simplicity, cross-platform simplicity to get users to understand what, what they're doing. Um, when they look at one thing, you know, it's like, oh, here's where the tweet button is. Like, so I know what to do. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's changing too, mm. that mentality. Yeah. So things with paper, the thing that fascinates me, and it's, it's, there's two sides to it. There's one, is it a good client for Facebook? And that I don't know how to judge because I'm not a Facebook user. So I honestly don't yeah. know how to judge it. But two, from a design perspective, it is fascinating because it is almost like a reimagination of what iOS should be. It doesn't feel foreign. It doesn't feel like, like alien, but it's definitely not standard. And yep. it's, it is, uh, and it's, it, it is of a piece with, Mike Mattis's previous works, and very specifically with with the work they did at Push Pop Press, right, the only the only example of which we could we we saw publicly was the the Al Gore book, right? Uh, Our choice, right? Yeah. Which is worth if you're an interface designer, it's worth buying that. Not to read, even if you have no interest in the book itself, it's worth buying as an example of an alternative way to think about touchscreen design. Is it still it's still available? I think so. I hope so. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know. But uh, this, you know, and I I don't know how much. You know, you never know. I mean, there was a team, and is Mattis is not the only designer, but uh, I think the whole team is on board with the philosophy, and the philosophy is, I I think one way to put it is that it that Apple wasn't bold enough with iOS. Right, and you go back all the way to Steve Jobs' 2007 unveiling of the original iPhone, and and he spoke, a, you know, at, at at the highest level when he was introducing it and sort of framing how we should think about this. That uh, it was when he snuck in the the dig about a stylus, you know, that look, right. we made, 1984, we made this thing called the Mac, and you you know did all this stuff visually using a mouse to guide a pointer on screen. What are we going to do for a pointer here? And he goes, well, a stylus. And everybody he goes, no, of course not. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> and everybody laughed. He goes, stylus is a piece of junk. You're going to lose it in 
Nobody wants that. No, we're all born with a pointer right here. And he stuck up his index finger, right? And that's the, you know, the high level, that's the, the, the breakthrough of iOS that you just use your finger and you do things. So instead of having a scroll bar that you move to scroll the content, you just touch the content and move it and you scroll yep. and there's not, yep. you don't have a button, you know, like, and you think back and we, you know, it's easy to sort of forget. And you see this evolution over the years of Mac and windows where, where like we have the, the, either the wheel or the, you know, like on a trackpad or something. But think back to the original Mac and the original Windows before there were even scroll wheels on mice. And to scroll the content, you had to put the cursor on the arrow in the scroll bar to click or right, put it on the, right. what's it called, the thumb, the elevator, whatever you want to call it, yeah. uh, and drag it. And it was a complete level of abstraction that you had to click the button, the arrow buttons to scroll it or click the actual, click and drag the actual wheel to do it. Uh, and iOS completely eliminated that entire thing where it's all just direct. But in other areas, it's it's a lot of the standard iOS navigation. Just think about like uh, two apps that I think are very, very, you know, almost canonical if you want to study what it is to be an iOS app. Mail and uh, like the Settings app. Settings yeah. app is maybe the best example. Settings is just pure iOS. Uh it's a lot of buttons and even like you go into a level and then how do you go back? You go to the top left and there's a button right, and, the back it, button. You know, and yep. it's a back button yep. and you click the tap the back button as though you use your finger to tap the button in the same way that you'd use a mouse pointer to click a button on. And, and the Mattis philosophy and, and paper really exemplifies this is that you get rid of those buttons too. And you just open and close things, you know, you can tap on a thing to open it and then to close it, you just squeeze it and it gets smaller and goes back to the smaller state. And, uh, and, uh, and it's not just, and it's not just the obvious sort of, or not the, what's been around for a while, like pinch to zoom and sort of pinch to close. It is like as simple as sort of drag up yeah. and drag down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you don't even have to use two fingers. It's, um, that's that's my favorite thing about yeah. it where, you know, I'm looking at it right now and it's just like the the sort of bar along the bottom with the content that you scroll through it almost is in a way it's like in the shape of your thumb right it's like drawing your thumb yep. towards it to to put it place it on there and then once you do that you just sort of move up and then you're right into it and you can read it the entire way when it's going up right because yep. it's it's just scaling it right up and then to to get it away you just push it back down it's a uh, it's very well done and it's very natural and it is really unlike the standard system in a profound way, even though it's so simple. And part of it, there's there's a humility towards it where it's not a lot of like whiz bang stuff that you could. Uh... Oh yeah, I mean, I know. For example, I know that Mattis worked on when he was at Apple years ago. Worked on Time Machine, and Time Machine's interface is look at look at this. This is supposed to be like whoa, right? With the whole. Uh, windows space. going into 3D and you're in outer space, right. and it's like th <laughs> it is a very ostentatious design. And it doesn't matter what you know. <laughs> yes. Aside whether you think it's a good design for for a backup system or not, it's ostentatious, right? The paper thing is is very humble, in my opinion, because I think normal people they might think, hey, this is nice, but they're not going to be like, wow, 
it it's right. you know and I, I mean that as a very high compliment that it's it's not trying to show off it's all and i think there's tons i know for a fact that there's tons and tons of work to get these things because they're not built into the system you don't get them for free from coco touch this these you know opening and closing and smooth everything is super smooth it's all custom and it's all super smooth um and the the big problem with any kind of high level like how are you going to navigate this design is that there's a very few number of gestures available and you have to allocate them you have to decide you have to be very careful about it so just think back to the original mac and i think in hindsight we can probably agree that a mistake that they made was uh, that single click in the finder selects an item and double click opens because double click is cognitively difficult for normal people. It it's mm-hmm. they and and you know and it's led to you know the the best example is you know people whose parents double click on links in web browsers <laughs> right yes, because they right. they yes. somehow they they don't understand that some things you click on to open and some things you double click to open and you kind of have right. to have an, a deeper understanding of how the computer is working as opposed to how the interface is working to know that difference which is why you know it it makes way more sense uh, the way that iOS and almost every modern system works, where you tap to open and you do like a long tap to select or something else, yeah. but that tap to open. Uh, and so you you have so few things to do, and and you don't want to get into a thing where where anything primary involves things like well, you could put two fingers on screen and drag up and down. Well, normal people are never going to get that. Right, pinching with two fingers, they'll get because it's it is uh, it feels real. But things like the iOS four finger swipe to switch apps—that's a power user feature. That and it's right. it's absolutely fine that Apple made that. I think it's a fine feature. I use it especially on the iPad. Uh, I don't think I have it turned on on the phone, but on the iPad, I use it all the time. But I, you know, it it's. I guarantee you 99.5% of all iPad users have no idea that it exists. And if you told them it exists, they would forget it by tomorrow. Um, so what Facebook had to solve with paper is what can you, how much can you do with one finger just dragging? You've got left, right, and you've got up, down. And that's it. And so right. you go left, right to navigate between items in the stream. And up to open, down to close. Um, and it's even it's a little bit more uh, sort of interesting how they're doing it because there's also down like every, it seems like one of the issues that they're having, which I understand, is that people don't know at first how to create a post, right? Because that's another swipe down from the top, and there's no real indication that that's there is through in the walkthrough, of course, but there's no indication when you're just looking at it that that's what you would do, right? right? And that they're trying might... to like create a new norm, I guess, for that. Yeah, and that... where it's instead of being the side, sort of the hamburger button to the side, it's now swiping down to get to it. Yeah, and maybe that's a spot where it's not quite fair of me to say that it doesn't feel foreign because it is uh because it, it's non-standard but i guess right. what i see is that i when i look at paper i see a way that 
the whole system could work that way, right? That in some alternate universe, Mike Mattis is at still at Apple and is in charge of iOS or is a, a lead developer and that iOS 7 works like this across the board and that there's, you know, for example, uh, there's no status bar all the time in Facebook paper, but it's there. You right. just pull down at the top a little bit and then you can see it. Yep. And um, I yep, know for a fact right. there's an, that is, you know, it's a stupid little thing, but I know from talking to other designers and people who think about things like this, there's an awful lot of people who think that that's the way iOS should work, that the status bar is clutter and that, you know, why not just give the whole screen and, you know, show the status when you need it. And how do you do it? Just pull it down. Um, do you know what else I just realized, like just playing around with it right now? I think they're one of the first ones that I can remember actually doing this uh, in a way I think is correct, which is that when you do, so when you do, you're on the main screen and you swipe down to get to sort of where you can post, where your profile is, that that back, you know, the back of the, the sort of cards metaphor. Yeah. Um, when that puts the main um, sort of card at the bottom, so you can still get back there by tapping on it, and then it just pops back up, right? So that's how you navigate back. Yes. But it is impossible to actually pull up the up menu um, from there. You know how in so many apps now with iOS 7, they have the pull-up menu where you know where they have the, the flashlight and all those other things. Yeah. It is actually impossible to do that, at least as far as I can see right now, to pull up that menu, which is great because so many of these apps that, that um, are trying to be clever with sort of using new uh, UI – uh, forget that you know there is already a system wide UI to pull up that that menu right um, and somehow I assume you can do this in uh, you, know, you can make this a setting uh, paper has uh, figured out like if we put this this card at the bottom and ask people to go back to it a lot of times they're gonna end up pulling up the uh, the settings menu and we don't want them to do that so let's just disable that and so there's no way to do that which is great because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always afraid now whenever I'm touching something at the bottom of the screen that I'm going to pull up that menu mm -hmm. uh, yeah I know exactly yeah. what you mean uh, yeah I think, and I, it's, it's tricky too when the keyboard is visible and it feels, I could be wrong. It could just be that I've gotten better at it, but I'm running the iOS 7.1 betas on my phone. Uh, yeah, me too. And it feels as though they've, in the last beta or two, they've gotten better at system-wide when you, when you want to bring up the, what's it called? The control center is yeah, the thing you're right. talking about. You swipe from the bottom. Right. Uh, Previously, when the keyboard was up, I, every time I tried it, I'd get a space. I'd it, it would just it would, yes, it would hit the right. key, and they've gotten something. They figured out some way of doing it now, where when the keyboard's visible, you can bring that up. Uh, it's a tricky thing, and I agree that yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about in paper. It's like you more or less push the whole regular interface down. Regular interface right. meaning you're you're browsing through the content in your feed. Um. You push that down to get a sort of meta interface, and it's it's like a transparent thing with your Facebook, yes. uh, not your it profile. It has search. Picture. It has your profile. Right. It has create a post. It has edit sections and settings. Right. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that they did that I think, and it speaks to the thought that went into it. It, it it's like the uh, the Einstein quote: "Everything should be as simple as possible, but not more so." And I, 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 I've looked it up over the years, and maybe that's, you know, there's a lot of, it could be one of those things where he didn't even say it, but that's the way <laughs> I know the, 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 the adage that you can 
you know, what does it mean as simple as possible, but not more so? Well, it's a little cute, but it, it more or less means don't take an idea too far. And as an example, it's okay, so they've gotten rid of a lot of buttons in the navigation that you don't go back, you just push it down and it closes. But they don't have any kind of, we're not going to have any buttons at all. And we're going to figure out a way to do this with no buttons. Where it makes sense to just have a button, they have a button. Like yeah. like when you write a post, you just start typing, and then there's a button that says post, and it's you know super obvious. There's no cutesy way of somehow you know posting without actually having a post button. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I think that that's right. They have they have the minimal amount of buttons you would need uh, to do what you want to do. Yeah. Um, they have a super cool thing in when you go into the settings that uh, you know, and it 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 uses of it, once you're in the settings for Facebook Paper, it is a very standard iOS metaphor where there's you know a list and you tap an item and it you know goes left to right and the navigation stack you know goes the same way that iOS you're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. and I think it's exactly right. Where instead of trying to get real clever and do something original there, they do it, but they do a really cool thing with the animation in the at the top of the screen where there is actually a back button when you're in the settings. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if you swipe it, it's like the back button thing. Unlike iOS 7's standard navigation, it doesn't just fade from one to another. It like shoots as though a rubber band pushed it. Yeah. Yeah, Really, really brilliant. And and honestly, it's better than than the the iOS. I wish that that was iOS 7 standard. Yeah, and everything sort of cascades in. Yeah. uh, as they're coming, yeah, yeah really exactly. Nice. It's like a cascade animation, like almost like a, a wave. I don't know how you would call it, I, I, but it's it, it it's. F- <laughs> I'm making up a word here, but it's very physicy, <laughs> physicsy, physical, yeah. physical. I guess it's just physical, but it's it's like physics. There's there's a, a and I again, that's a little thing, and it is not that is not a standard animation from iOS. That is something that they worked on themselves. There's an awful lot of... So, did you get a sense from him? Did he talk at all? Are they going to open source any of this stuff for other sort of iOS developers to use, do you know? Uh, I didn't ask. I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. That'd be... That'd be great, but yeah. Yeah, I don't of, think so. Although they did, do, you know, they have the tool, the 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 meta layer on top of Quartz Compositor that they're using. Quartz Composer. That's right. What's that? Or origami? Is that what they're? Yeah, called? origami. I forget if it's Quartz yeah. Compositor or Composer. Whichever one it is, I always guess wrong. So it's whatever. Composer. Quartz Composer. Uh, yeah. I think the telling thing about that that's interesting as a you know someone who's a, works you know and tries to think about design and stuff is that. And Mattis has been using Quartz Composer for a long time for his mock-ups and stuff. And uh, and I had spoken about this before, but like he showed me like with Pushpop uh, Press before it came out, and he was showing me the, the development version of it, where they they had like a in the beta versions or the in-house versions, there was an extra layer of settings where there were sliders for all of the variables in the physics engine and so instead of like a programmer typing into xcode that gravity for uh flinging down a picture to close it is at 0.78 and then you compile Mm -hmm. and build and install a beta on your phone and you play around with it and then mike would say you know what try like 0.85 
and then compile it and build it and give it to him. He had sliders for all of those things, and he could sit there and you know drag these little sliders and adjust things and make you know make pictures more or less really. And and you know I, I got to play with it when the, with those settings enabled, make things like photos feel heavier or lighter. And it was very, very, you know, it was very tactile, where it really did feel like, whoa, that's heavier, whoa, that's lighter. Uh, and I think the idea is that you can't really design with this modern sense of a physics-driven interaction without actually having design tools that are not just animated, but, you know, that that you can tweak all sorts of variables. And I think that's yeah. where they're going with origami, where you're not, you cannot, you can't create things like this in Photoshop and just have, here's the, here's the start frame, here's the end frame. And in between it, it animates, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's cause like you, you're forcing your brain to sort of shift between two different um, processes, right? Like you're going from a very uh, sort of numbers driven analytical process by typing in like 0.87 uh it's like you're doing math right. uh, versus uh yeah designing you know i think it's um, the equivalent of like in sculpture where you're working you know like you're it's like having clay in your hands and being able to mold it with your hands as opposed to defining you know mathematically the shape of the sculpture <laughs> right um what do you think about the uh the photo element where you're tilting to you know, sort of look at the panoramic mode. Yeah, they know, call it. They, uh, uh, I forget. I don't know if this is public or not. I know internally they call it Ken turns, the Ken turns effect. <laughs> That's good. Uh, That's funny. I think it's brilliant. I think it is really, really. Uh, I think it's it works. It is so super effective, and I think it, you know, it's like I always say, like you, you know. Uh, First is the original, the second is a ripoff, and the third, uh, it's a standard. So somebody's going to rip it off, and then everybody's yeah. going to say, hey, they ripped off the Ken Turns effect from Facebook paper. And then two or three other apps are going to come out that use it, and it's everybody's, you know, well, we should always remember that they did it first, but it's, I think it's going to become a, a standard. So the idea is, if you haven't, if you're out there, you're listening, you haven't seen paper or used it, if you open a, a photo, they open it so that it always fills the screen. And so if it's like a, and, and it's even most noticeable if you think of a panoramic photo, like if you take a panoramic photo with your iPhone where it's way wider than it is tall, well, it opens at full height on your phone. And then to see the rest of it, you just hold your phone in front of you and you can either twist it or you can actually uh, like rotate your body and the, the photo pans along as you move. Uh, I think it's brilliant. I think it works so well. And it's just like it basically turns the phone screen is a window sort of into a picture, yes. making it more like real life. Yes, right? and it is you know, so we you know we sit at our desks and we have uh, things like twenty uh, seven inch IMAX or twenty one inch IMAX or cinema displays or uh, even on. Uh, like a MacBook, you know, we have retina displays on MacBook Pros now with incredible pixel counts and compared to a phone, a big screen. Uh, I think this Ken Turns thing for how do you view something that you really do want big, like a photo, how do you view it on a little four-inch screen? I think it's it's the best solution anybody's come up with. I think it's brilliant. They and told me, because- I, here's one thing, and, and 
so the name they they said that the they started with the Ken Burns effect where they would open the photo at that size and then it just automatically moves. Yeah, and they said the problem was that that they realized was uh a lot of times, you know, the most interesting part of the photo, maybe it was at the beginning, it's at the left edge, and then it already right. pans past. Like if and then you're miss, you've you've already you want to go back yeah. and you have to wait yeah. for the animation. That's, or you have to swipe it. That's uh, interesting. Right. And then the main problem so this is this is what this shows to me, which is which I think is pretty genius, which is that normally so even right now, if you open up a panoramic picture, if you um, if you open it on your phone, uh, sort of in landscape mode or in horizontal mode, it will um, it will be so small, and so you'll want to zoom in, right? But to see then the rest of the photo, you have to take your thumb and like sort of push, and so that's like putting your thumb in between what you're trying to look at. Uh, whereas this totally removes it because you never have to use your thumb. Well, exactly. So you're not covering the photo with your fat, ugly thumb. And it, this gets back to what I said before. They've already assigned swiping left and right to going to the next to, yeah, thing. Yeah, that's right, to navigation. And it does that. And right. people, I'm assuming, right now are, are trying to do, you know, to get to the other part of the photo just because that has previously been the norm. Right. And now they're just swiping to, you know, the next story and being like, oh, uh, right. this is different. How and do I get that? it's... Uh, to me, it's just a genius, and it's you know it, it, it's so easy to overlook how much thought went into that, you know. And again, it's it it would be the wrong solution, but it's you know the things that would be easier to think of, you know, and that a simple little mind like mine would think of would be well, put two fingers on the screen and swipe left, right to pan the photo, and one finger is still just go next or forward. But people don't think like that. That, that two fingers on screen to go to do it is terrible. Uh, you know, this, you know, using, why don't we use the accelerometer and the gyroscope? Uh, it's a really great idea. I really can't. And they've, they have, you know, other, other little things like the autoplay of the videos. Like normally people hate that. And I'm one of those people who hate that, but it's like when, when you are in, um, sort of full mode, so it doesn't autoplay them when you're in sort of the browsing mode where you can, you know, the, the stories are at the bottom of the screen and you're swiping through them. But once you bring it up to full screen, uh, it does autoplay it because it's like, that's the content and you want to see it and you're just removing sort of a barrier to entry to see that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really, really. Uh, thoughtful stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, rightly or wrongly, a lot of the discussion has been more about it as, hey, is this an alternative way to look at Facebook? But I think that, you know, interface-wise, it is fascinating. It is, you know, you could teach a whole course of interface design based on the the novelties that they've come up with in the app. So I guess, I guess the biggest um, complaint I would have as a as someone who does occasionally use Facebook, I mean, I'm not, I certainly don't use it as much as uh, much of the world does, but um, the difference between the regular sort of standard Facebook app and even the website and this is that for, it might not even be true, but there's something about it to me that makes it feel like there is much less content. And so it's much more shallow. Uh, and maybe that's on purpose. Maybe it's sort of making Facebook less overwhelming because maybe it is too overwhelming now because everyone has sort of a thousand friends on it, even though you're probably not really friends with a thousand people. Mm. Um, and so maybe they're doing some smart things and maybe I just haven't played around with it enough to know like that they're serving up really what is the best of, of the content that I should see. Uh, but I do get the sense that there's just like 
much less content. And maybe it's because the cards are sort of at the bottom and they're they're sort of, you know, you can get you can get basically two and a little bit more into one uh, sort of screen. And so it takes quite a bit of swiping to get through um uh, to what you used to be able to get through in less sort of swiping up and down when you're yeah I don't think it, it's not a good interface I think more or less it's probably not a good interface for going through a ton of stuff yeah right because you have to go left right and their minimum size is is sort of a thumbnail so you can't just right. scroll through a ton of stuff it's not I guess it's you know I don't know. I, I think that that's. I don't think it's ever going to replace the regular Facebook interface. I, I don't think it could, but I think it's an interesting alternative for some people, and maybe so that some people, people who are turned off by the existing regular Facebook interface and what it promotes in terms of you know behavior and how many people you friend and etc. Uh, it's a way for more people to want to use Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think I'm probably going to sign up, but I don't think I really do. <laughs> and it's almost like I just, I don't want to, it's like, I don't, I think it's stupid for me to just say, I want to stick to this, you know, uh, it, it, I don't, it, it's too arbitrary for me to say, you know what I want, I'm not going to sign up for it just because I want to be able to always say I never signed up for Facebook. Right. But I think my idea is I'll sign up. I don't want to use, I still don't want to use Facebook anywhere else. Only the, my, the only way I'll use Facebook is through paper. I'm not, I don't ever, I, I think, and you can't, I've actually tried, you can't create an account using paper. So I would have to go oh, to the interesting. website. Okay. Uh, but then after I do that, I'm never going to, uh, never going to use anywhere else. And, and will, will you start, will you start offing in with Facebook then? Will you use that aspect of it too? Mm-hmm. I imagine that must be a pain for you with like, no, so many... because I don't know that there's anything I've ever wanted to use that only offers a Facebook auth. There, uh, yeah, I feel like that's less of an issue now. Like a year ago or, or two years ago, that was an issue. There would be like I remember I was you know sort of uh, looking at or or sort of uh, testing out many different apps that would have Facebook only, and that was the number one complaint, of course, right? Like yeah, you know, you need I, to do at least email too. We, that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. We actually did a. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not really it wasn't <clears throat> scientific, but at at for Vesper and for the eventual syncing thing that we're working on we thought about well, should we have our own login system or should we use twitter or should we use facebook or should we do both and there's you know it, it a lot of it solves a lot of problems to use an existing identity like that but what we did is is asked like real people our wives and friends and people who aren't developers and very very quickly got a lot of you know it came very very clear that normal people don't like using that and it's because they don't trust that whatever app they're authing in is going to post to their to their board or to their Twitter, and they just right, don't like it. And is, they don't want and they don't want Facebook or Twitter knowing what other apps they use. They just they just don't <laughs> right. you know normal people, not like nerds, not privacy experts, just normal people have like a sense, uh, just a common sense like uh, aversion to letting these big companies know everything they do and they don't like it they really don't and that they also know intuitively that if your id is just your email address that nobody knows you know you know that right the the email provider isn't right doesn't care about right that That they're not seeing or can't i mean they can't even really right it's just there's no way that they could get access to that right that your email address isn't really a system it's just a unique string 
just by the right. way that you know domain names work. That there's one username at domain that can exist, and it's just a unique identifier, not a unique identity. Uh, and you know, and it's yeah, and then it gets down to do you do op, you know, do it as an option, and then it's you know, it's a design question of well, how do you make people choose? But I I don't know, and I th and it seems to me the trend, and I've been looking at it. Uh, thinking about it for Vesper for a while, it seems to me like more services going forward are only offering things like auth, like Facebook and Twitter auth as an option, not as your right. only way. Well, and yeah, I guess the obvious upside is one button and you're done, right? Rather than typing in an yeah. email. Yeah. Um, Facebook is the first, or Facebook paper is the, really the first time that I've needed a Facebook account to use the thing. And it's because it's actually, you know, very specific to paper. <laughs> Um, let me do the third sponsor. And I, there's another angle to Facebook paper we can talk about, which is the the sort of sections, the content sections. Sure. Um, but our our third sponsor is our good friends at Fracture. Uh, Fracture is the photo printing service. They print your photo directly onto a piece of glass. Uh, you have to see it to believe it, but it really is a very different visual effect than a piece of paper behind glass in a frame. It's a piece of glass with the paper printed on it. It's almost like if you're old enough to remember when people used to shoot slides, it's like having a piece of glass that's a slide of your photo. Uh, and there's a certain vibrancy to it, and it's also it's a lot like with the with the iPhone and stuff where it's just closer to the surface of the glass, and it's just a great effect. Uh, they come in all sorts of sizes, from very small to very big, and they ship it in these ingenious containers where it's, uh, if you want to hang it on the wall, you can hang it on the wall. If you want to put it on your desk, you can put it on your desk. It's like a frame and a desk stand all in one. Uh, really, you have to see it to believe it. It makes a great gift. Uh, we, we, my wife and I uh, made a bunch of these for people for Christmas. Uh, in the family, and it's a huge hit. Uh, it also raises, as soon as people see it, they can see there's something different about it, and they're like, how did you do this? Where did you get this? Um, people love them. And I have a coupon code. You get 10% off any order. Uh, the coupon code is the talk show. And I love that because that's, to me, the ones who use put the the in there, they're the ones who actually listen to the show. Uh, where do you go to find out more? Their website is FractureMe.com. Uh, and I believe you can also just go to Fracture.me. I'm going to type it in right now. Yep. Fracture, you could go to Fracture.me or FractureMe.com. Learn more. Uh, they have a great video. You could just see it, and, and it kind of shows off uh, just how different it is. Uh, see the sizes and prizes. Prices and get started. And remember that code, the talk show, and you'll save 10%. So go check them out. It's a great service. So here's the other thing with Facebook paper it's US only, uh, not just iPhone only, it's US only. And, and the reason for that is because of the, the content sections they have, where it's not just your regular Facebook feed, they have sections for things like tech and sports and like world news, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, planet cities and they're not scraping those it's not just like they're scraping rss feeds and showing whatever they want they've got partnerships with content providers and i more or less i think that's why it's us only for now because 
Mm-hmm. It, it's like, you, you know, you could go the, f- and I know a lot of people have compared Facebook paper to Flipboard, but I, I don't really think that they're that direct a competitor. I think it's, it's because some of the animations are a little similar that people think that. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's sort of what I was getting at at the very beginning where it almost feels like this this is the part to me that feels sort of like a response to Twitter. It's because Twitter is a place you go to get news right now, right? right? It's like where a lot of people actually find links for the first time, find links about news, breaking news happening. And Facebook now with this, with these sections are, as you said, sort of making partnerships with the actual news organizations yeah. to make this like an actual news reader. Well, I didn't think about that as a response to Twitter but maybe you're right, though, that it kind of is in terms of that you go to this app for news, but that you're not expecting it to come from your followers. Yeah, your friends. You're, right, it's, right. it's about this sort of yeah, professional guess, editorial guess, cultivation. That's a, that's a good point because it's more along the lines of like Twitter if you only followed the actual news sources, right, rather than, um, rather than your friends. So you followed the account of New York Times and Washington Post and, and uh, whoever else if you use Twitter that way, which some people do, I think, use or at least have, you know, power users, of course, have separate uh, sort of Twitter uh, screens set up with just sort of breaking news alerts on, on different items. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- I don't know, you know, and I do. I, that's something where I just don't know whether because I'm not a Facebook user. I don't know how much sense it makes to integrate these two things. You know, uh, it, it, it's like I can't. I feel like I can't judge it, yay or nay. What do you think? Do you, yeah, you you say you're um, using it on your phone. Are you using the? So no, I, it's that's interesting. Um, I am using it, and I as I said, I have I have replaced it. Uh, from, I've replaced the Facebook.app, the regular app, with with paper, and it's great uh, as as for all the reasons we just have talked about and elaborated upon. But I'm not really using the the sort of news sections. I don't know why. Uh, I it does feel a little bit foreign to me um, because I I am sort of thinking about this as a Facebook replacement, even though I know that's not you know sort of the only mentality you're supposed to be going into this thinking about, and you are supposed to be sort of focused on these different sections where you can read about news. But I don't know. Uh, I just don't use it that way, and I'm never compelled to sort of open up paper to be able to get to the latest Wall Street Journal story. Um, and I don't know if that's because I'm a heavy Twitter user and I, I feel like I will have already seen it on, on Twitter. I guess maybe that's what it comes down to, the fact that I use Twitter, you know, uh, must be 10 to 20x more times a day than I use Facebook. Right. Um, and so I'm already getting my news from from Twitter. And so I would, I'm just not in the right sort of mode to go into this paper app to sort of read about things right now. I don't know. And maybe I'm different. Maybe... I, I'm one of you know 1.2 billion people who use Facebook, and so you know it, it might be an interesting way to just wrap wrap up the show. And is is a sort of I hadn't really thought about it before, but now you've got me thinking about Twitter versus Facebook overall. And and in it, you know, they're not the same thing, but they're clearly are rivals. Mm-hmm. And Facebook clearly has way more people. And yeah, it's, it's like, I, so it's like one one point two something billion to about two hundred and some million. So and it's somebody somebody larger. pointed out the other day, and they pointed I saw it on Twitter uh, that Facebook like last quarter grew by a f- even though they're bigger grew by a faster yeah. percentage than Twitter. I saw that. I think that was Dustin Curtis. Who yeah, said that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. But 
you know, you can't watch TV without seeing hashtags on the screen, right? Yes. And the hashtags right. are clearly, I mean, it, I, you can use them in Instagram, mm -hmm. but, and people do, but clearly it's about tweets. Yes. And, you know, um, there is no Facebook equivalent to that, that, that on, you know, just watching any stupid show or sports or the Super Bowl or anything, there's hashtags on screen and commercials have hashtags, right? And it's all and, Twitter. And so Facebook has tried to do this, you, you know, they've, they've, in, they've uh, integrated hashtags as a feature now, you know, sort of copying the notion. It still doesn't seem like it's taken off at all. Certainly not in the feeds of anyone that I'm, I'm friends with or right. that I follow on Facebook. Um, and, I think that's what we're sort of we were talking about earlier, where Facebook it was sort of talking to celebrities and influencers about using Facebook during the Super Bowl, and it's just I don't know. It's to me, it's it seems very unnatural. It's it's I don't think it's going to be used that way. Facebook is what it is, and and Twitter is what it is, and it's it's especially hard to change something that 1.2 billion people are already using for a reason, and if that reason is not to talk about the Super Bowl, or at least uh, not to sort of talk about in real time with the same. Uh, uh, sort of speed that people do on Twitter. Um, I don't know. I'm not so sure that that's like a great idea for them to try to squeeze these things into uh, to this. And for me, what this what this boils down to is both of these companies are now public companies. Twitter, of course, just went public. Um, you know, at the a few a few months ago, and so what this all boils down to, especially with regard to television, is trying to uh, get advertisers on board and trying to monetize this. And so you can make the argument that while I think so, Twitter had their first earnings and they beat uh, the the earnings rest uh, estimates, but uh, their user numbers were sort of the cause for concern there. Yeah. But that sort of also points to the fact that I think Twitter actually has, uh, and you can make a case, will be easier to monetize. Uh, uh, because it's sort of this zeitgeist that people use during all of these major events, like uh, whether it's the Super Bowl, whether it's now the Olympics, um, and there's like a very direct, uh, you know, sort of advertising uh, nut to crack. I don't think that they have cracked it yet, but I think that there is a way to do that much so, much more so than with Facebook, even though Facebook has so many more users. And I, I just a strained, strained analogy, and it's not going to hold a lot of water, but it's a little bit like iOS to Android, where Android has more people, but iOS is easier to monetize. You know that it's that yeah you know that is yeah yeah that. Yep, I think that that's that works. In some you know, ways, and the yeah. other thing I see on TV, I see it in sports. Well, you know what? News too. I don't watch. I watch very little TV news, but I do watch sports. Uh, and they'll, you know, it, it's ubiquitous almost that you know the commentators they'll they'll put their Twitter names up, right? Yep. But I see it when I especially watch. sports. Sports is like the greatest example of that. It's all over. It's on Sports Center. They're all every single person has their Twitter handle. Right. There is no Facebook. Equivalent of that, right? And uh, you know what? I do. I should. You know what? I was trying to think like, how do I know this about TV news? I know how I know it. I know because I watch the Daily Show, and the Daily Show shows me the clips I need to see of you know Fox and CNN yeah. and MSNBC, <laughs> and they do it too when they show you the clips of you know whatever they're making fun of on the Daily Show and on these news channels. Everybody gets introduced with their name, and then underneath it, at you know whatever their Twitter handle is. Uh, yeah, and, it and, and is, it's it's if I worked it's, at Twitter, if I'm Dick Costolo, I'm very happy about that. Oh yeah, because of it they, is. I mean, they they are getting free advertising. Well, but it's not just it is, right? it's not just advertising. No, it 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 it's like uh, 
it's like a way of of entering like the culture culture mind share right yeah. it's culture yes. mind share you know it's it's like being coca-cola you know yeah it, uh that it, it's just huge that you know, and that people know this. You know that you go there and it just you go on TV, and it'll say and you see an at sign and you know what that means, right? right? If you know like, you go on and it just says at Paris Lemon under your name on TV, and people know that you know if they want to see you on Twitter, they'll go to you know just search for that name on Twitter. It's it's really and, that, and that's um that's interesting when you when you think about it compared to Facebook where Facebook you know for a long time their strength was this real names component right like everyone was going to be their actual selves on this service right. um, the problem was like in the beginning uh, I don't know if you even know this not being a Facebook user but they used to not even have like a uh, an actual like slash username no I did uh, know set that. Up at all I did know that it was a string of numbers you right. know like like 16 numbers right. it was sort of crazy. Um, now they have, of course, vanity URLs, but it's still um, it's still that that hasn't translated though. Like I actually have slash Paris Lemon on Facebook, and you can get to me that way. But like, what would I put on? What would someone put on television screen if like you, you were doing that? Would yeah. you do? Is it just slash? Could you do that? No one would know what that is, right? It it is kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, gross. To me, like as somebody who's been a longtime Mac user and always objected to file name extensions in general, not just three letter ones, but just the whole idea. Because, like, in like we had a more elegant system in the 80s and 90s on the Mac where you didn't need file extensions, period. The name of the file was just a name with upper and lowercase right. letters and spaces. You could just put a space in the name, uh, <laughs> right. you know, like things in the real world. And all the other computer systems, you know, Unix, of course, that you know, of course, allowed spaces, but you know, it's the worst idea in the world because then you have to like backslash escape them, to, you know, at the command line. Right. Uh, right. And to me, the you know, using a punctuation character like that, and same thing with hashtags. Like to me, hashtags are are gross design wise, <laughs> but uh -huh. I do have to admit, as they've gone on to become part of. Uh, the culture there's no other way to do it like to me like tags you know like in tags in vesper there's no advantage to using hashtags uh in vesper because it's not shared it's not public so tags in vesper are just like old school mac file names you just type whatever you want upper and lowercase with spaces and it's english and it looks nice and it's readable um but yes. i totally understand how on a social network that the hashtag thing is genius uh because you can put it on screen and people know what it means, and there's no explanation yes. and doesn't need to look. It's just the the bang whatever, and there it is. Right, because you could argue that, like in you know, in our ever in increasing capabilities uh, computationally, like you should be able to say enter a status message and it sees say like Olympics and it should be able to know that. The, the Olympics you're talking about is the same that, you know, a million other people are talking about. And so there should, you know, sort of be a way, at least theoretically, to sort of link those together. But how would you convey that on television? No. There would be no way, right. right? And you can, you know, and it shows up in all other, you know, billboards and stuff like that. Just hashtag whatever or usernames, you know. It's it's really, you know, effectively it's been genius, and you know. And it's funny, too, that neither of those things came from Twitter, that it right the users yeah uh, and Chris Messina you know definitely I mean we we know that he more or less invented the hashtag not as a Twitter employee just as uh, a Twitter user 
yeah. it's this like total company building culture changing idea that he just like said, Hey, I think what, what if we just use hashtags, uh, hash signs and tag names after the hashtag to group tweets. <laughs> yep. Uh, and the ad thing I think is a little bit murkier in terms of last time I saw anybody try to figure out who started doing it, but, and, and, you know, there was some, well, and it has ties to email. Yeah. Course, and, right. and Flickr, people were doing it on Flickr where they were in a comment section, you know, it was a, it was a thing where if, if there's like 14 comments on a photo and you want to reply to the seventh commenter, you type at their username and then space. Yeah. Um, right. Meaning you were directing it at them. Because I remember when the, uh, there was, when sort of the location services like Foursquare and Goal and stuff started, you know, gaining popularity, it was like, it's too bad that like the, the at, uh, symbol has already been sort of taken by using it to direct a message at someone rather than it being an actual location. Right. Which, you know, would arguably make more sense. Yeah, right? definitely would. Well, and in the email sense, that's what it meant. It was, you know, if you were named, right. if you're John at daringfireball.net, it's me, you know, means I'm John is me at this server. You know, yep. it, it kind of makes... In the in the Twitter sense, it doesn't, except when you think about the fact that the reply is supposed to be at them, right? There's right, like a, right. I guess semantically, the at is different than the username. The at is saying this is at this person. Gruber is really my Twitter handle, but right. it's just visually, it's just become you know at Gruber is now my Twitter handle, and it's a funny way to, to kind of take use of. Uh, these characters that are on everybody's keyboard that were kind uh -huh. of underused. At was really, I mean, the only the only way I ever saw anything used the, the at symbol in my entire life before email was like at a grocery store where they would say like two at one dollar or something like that instead of a <laughs> right. slash, just because it's shorter. Yeah, right. right, right, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was almost like, why in the world do we have these that that one, especially on our keyboard? How did in the world did that become a standard thing on everybody's keyboard? But then email made great use of it, and then yeah. uh, you know, in this username scenario, it's it's become great. And then number sign, I guess that everybody uses it for like number one, number two. Uh, yep. Um, but you know, it's it it somehow works. It and and it's a thing. It looks geeky, but obviously, if you just go and like surf hashtags on Twitter and Instagram, I mean, millions of people use them. Normal people. And so another one is um, like ampersand. Do people use like? Does anyone use that often? It's certainly in writing, but like, do you ever see that being used? You know, like in sort of in emails that you send or, or mm. receive. Are people still using it as a, as a shorthand for you know uh, for and? There's a very few. I it, it's a pet peeve of mine, and so every once in a while, like for example, uh, uh, you know, I don't have any uh, co-writers at Daring Fireball, but. When a sponsored, my weekly sponsorships come in, every once in a while, whoever wrote the sponsored thing will use ampersands instead of ands, and I just change them to ands. But it's, 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 <laughs> so it's not, it's not rare, but it's uncommon. It's a little unusual. Uh, I don't know if it's, so that could be a, that could be one that gets, gets taken by. Yeah, I think it's so there. I think it's totally ripe to be taken. Yeah. Yeah. 
what's a percentage sign dollar sign now everybody knows what they mean and they're kind of right you know i guess the the, uh, the carrot the up sort of you know yeah um, the carrot is maybe the only other one that you could use but the tilde and the the back tick you know mm-hmm. uh which is probably like the least used key on anybody's keyboard uh but they're yep. too they're too small you can't they're not visually discernible like yeah, the other yeah. advantages of the at sign and the pound sign or hash whatever you want to call that thing um is that they're so visually distinctive yes they're they stand um, out they're the full height you know and they're very very visually uh, distinctive ampersand has that going for it Carrot, and people People, of course, have used uh, most notably, I guess, stock twits is the one to use the the money sign. Right? Oh, to be able right. To, to right. say that you're talking about a stock when you do it, and I think that works. That's pretty. Yeah, effective. that's actually. I forgot the, about that, but that does work, right? Because because yeah. in the other, it, it doesn't collide with the other sense because uh, there's no numbers, right? If, right. Yeah, like dollar sign followed by letters never had meaning before. Yes. No, that's a. It actually is a good use. That's another one. That's a good counterexample. I thought about the other day, actually, I was thinking about this with the hash symbol, whether if I were inventing Markdown today, whether I would still use that. It, it's a way to indicate headings. Right. And I, right. I I don't think it collides because there's a space after it. And I don't think uh-huh. that, you know, I, I think I guess I would because I couldn't think of another character that I would use. But, I, it, you know, hashtags didn't even exist when I invented Markdown. And nobody's ever written to me to complain about that, so I'm guessing that it it isn't a problem. That's, yeah, that's, why why did you? How come? Why not use something like the at symbol for like a link or something like that? Why do it the way that it's done? Because right it's because uh, I wanted it to be as visually non uh, distracting as possible. Okay. So and I, that's why it's I, uh, like square brackets, right? Uh, sounds like a show. Yeah. All right. Uh, MG Siegler, uh, thank you very much for your time. Of course. And, well, uh, as always, people can catch you at Paris Lemon. <laughs> <laughs> Hash, no hashtags. No hashtags. I yet. don't have my own hashtag. Yeah. Uh, but you do have a username and, uh, Paris, ParisLemon.com. Yes. Uh, all right. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>